I don't have a mark on my face. I don't have a mark on my face, yeah. and I upset Sonny Lister, and I just turned 22 years old. I must be the greatest. Right. I told the world, I talk to God every day. If God's with me, can't nobody be against me, Sonny. I shut up the world. I'm the real God. Cassius, wait a minute, wait a minute, Cassius. I am the king of the world. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Love Talk Radio.
an opportunity to uh, to put some multiple shows together, stretch our legs, get back into it. But, you know, we're the real sports guys. We said it from the beginning. You know, the reason why I think people like listening to us because we have the same struggles. We love our sport, but we have to navigate our lives. And then when we get this run like this, we're going to take advantage of it. And so, um, you know, uh, on a couple of our shows, we've been talking about college sports. And tonight, uh, we're going to spend a little time talking about what we call the dilemma. Um, and uh, But to get kind of warmed up, I don't know, Phil, I don't know if you had a chance to uh, hear the comments or the reactions to what Coach Harbaugh said uh, at a Big Ten uh, press conference when he was you know, talking about, you know, everybody's kind of struggling with this kind of transfer portal rule. Um, and, and he kind of uh, said that, um, uh, you know, that we should just allow each player just one free transfer, no matter what. Um, and one of the examples he kind of gave, and the reason why I kind of brought this up, because I know your background as it relates to, you know, kind of being a counselor and a therapist and understanding mental health and stuff like that. Uh, you know, he used, you know, one of the, the ways in which people can play right away is if they, if there's something related to mental health. And uh, I listened to that entire interview. And at the end, he said something like, you know, I just want to make people sure I'm, I'm very supportive and I provide support for um, athletes who are experiencing mental health. I'm not saying anything derogatory. He's trying to make it clear that everything just blew up uh, about him. But, but one of the things, and I, we don't necessarily have to talk about the, the that he was talking about mental health, but, the idea of just kind of, uh, even though we're going to talk about college basketball tonight, the idea of just a one free transfer, no matter what, regardless of what your issue might be. Yeah. Um, uh, and then the second one would be um, you would have to sit out a year rather than kind of having this kind of situation where um, it's kind of subjective about who gets to play right away. And then you keep the graduate transfer rule the same. That sounds like a pretty reasonable solution. Wouldn't you think? I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. Any step, any step that gives kids more options, um, I'm all for. Because coaches have a ton of options to leave and cut, like go and leave as they please, based on what's the best career decision for themselves. Um, kids, generally speaking, have huge penalties. They have to sit out a year. Um, this might be the only time in their life they can't play competitive basketball for a whole year. Um, you know, so I, I'm i all in favor for that. I love the graduate transfer rule. It gives kids motivation to finish college. Um, it also gives them the motivation to finish college in three years to have another year. Um, here at Virginia Tech, I mean, I see, you know, I saw the basketball team practice uh, last week, and all those kids, uh, you know, even the kids that just graduated from high school a few weeks ago, they're on campus. They're taking classes. Most of them are taking, you know, nine to 12 hours and two different summer sessions. Um, so by the time the fall semester starts next month, you know, many of them have almost a full semester underneath their belt, assuming that they didn't do anything in high school in terms of advanced credit. Um so if these kids are going to be on campus year-round for the most part, I think it's a great motivation to tell them, hey, finish up in three years. Even if you're redshirted, you may even have two years to transfer to go somewhere. The uh, Virginia Tech quarterback, Josh Johnson, he started as a redshirt freshman and sophomore last year. He actually graduated this summer, 
And as a graduate transfer, he decided to transfer to Maryland. He's going to have two years of eligibility. So I love any rule that gives kids more options and motivates them um, to finish school. And, and, and I'm glad this kind of was a warm-up to our, our, our main topic tonight, uh, the dilemma, uh, which really focuses on the one and done. But you can see how uh, we we're, uh, as we start to go through this conversation, um, being able to pull from this conversation, even that, you know, uh, Coach Harbaugh kind of introduced, um, you know, because the, the, the transfer portal is something that is also part of what's been happening with uh, college basketball as well. Um, but, but the one and done has been a conversation with college basketball for a long time um, where, uh, you know, or just the idea of, of um, uh, basketball players uh, on whether or not they need to they go directly into the league or whether or not they need to be some kind of abbreviated stay in college or other reasons for them to get out. But the, the idea of, of uh, post high school entering the pros has been a discussion in college basketball for a long time, you know, going back uh, to uh, Spencer Haywood uh, in the uh, late sixties, uh-huh. he played at the university of Detroit, a uh, great player, um, wanted to leave hardship, grew up in the South, um, sharecropping. Keyword uh, hardship. Keyword hardship. hardship. Keyword is hardship. And, um, you know, um, needed to find a way to create income to change his family circumstances. Um, and uh, NBA uh, at that time. And, and if you think about, you know, college basketball moving through that time, we had the uh, um, uh, beginning moving into a rule where freshmen sat out um, and then uh, didn't play their freshman year. There's a lot of rules and delays uh, over these periods, but um, uh, wanted to go in the league. And um, uh, fortunately, you had the ABA option. So he went into the ABA, played for the uh, Denver Rockets at that point. Uh, ABA experienced some kind of labor uh, issue. And so uh, the owner of the uh, Seattle Supersonics, even though he had not uh, completed four years, offered him a contract, which then created this legal dispute about whether or not he had the right to be able to earn income uh, given his his age. And it's always been a dispute because if those of you don't know, I mean, um, the NBA is a private organization. It's like any organization that can – um, in some ways, decide the requirements of the folks who are uh, the employees of the uh, or, or uh, who work within the organization. These are all kind of privately owned, and so um, have the right to decide um, what the entering age limit is going to be for people who work in the organization. Um, so it was tested, went to the Supreme Court, 72 vote that he had the right to enter early. And so from that point on, you've had these discussions. And so what the NBA did was they created the hardship. And so people, Moses Malone, uh, Daryl Dawkins, uh, who are most notable, um, uh, took, uh, uh, made the case for hardship. Uh, very successful. There are others who may not be as, been as successful. And so the hardship part was kind of the, the discussion and not as many folks took advantage of that. Uh, you fast forward uh, where the second kind of this blitz of this stuff happened. It was the Kevin Durant, uh, not Kevin Durant, uh, 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 Kevin, um, Kevin Garnett, I want to say Durant, Kevin Garnett, thank you, thank you, brother. Uh, Kevin Garnett, who played, uh, uh, Kevin was, you know, from the South, but played high school in Chicago. One of the, the interesting things, you know, from Phil and I, is that Kevin uh, actually wanted to go to Michigan, 
he tried a couple times to get because that was when um, you, you kind of had the I believe the uh, still had the absence of Prop 48 might have been of it. So his he didn't have the ACT score he needed to go to college. So if you talk to Kevin, he really wanted to go to Michigan. That was post I would say Fab Five. Um, wanted to go to Michigan and uh, but he couldn't do it. So he took the hardship route. Um, went to pros and had immediate success. And uh, then you had Kobe Bryant, you had a run, but you also had uh, folks like Greg Oden. You had other folks who Kwame Brown. And what you had was this beginning argument, even though you had some success cases, a lot of NBA execs did not like the fact that they felt like the quality of basketball wasn't level with be like you had a Kobe Bryant, but you had a whole bunch of other players who are young and they had to spend a lot, invest a lot of money um, and may not have them develop. Uh, and then uh, David Stern um, and others came together and that's when you created kind of the one and done. We're going to sit there for a year um, and then um, you could enter the draft uh, after a year, I believe it's age of 19 um, and come in. So there's always been this dispute, but it's always been the NBA directing it. And then on the other side, you have college basketball that has some self, self-interest uh, in this. And um, uh, in terms of uh, what, what they uh, deemed as important, um, and this kind of student-athlete kind of moniker that's also this. So this is a really complicated issue uh, that we have to uh, always pay attention to. So, you know, that's kind of like the beginning context. I just kind of want to lay some background for folks. So, Phil, when you look at this, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there, but but if you get to the essence of it, is there really, is there really a dilemma? Um, so, for me, I think that college basketball has a, re- a very unique situation. Um, kids are required to wait a year out of high school to be drafted. Um, when you compare this with other team sports um, that have common drafts, um, and primarily we'll look at football, hockey, uh, and baseball, and kind of, you know, in comparison to the basketball. Um, you know, football has a requirement that kids cannot enter the draft until they've been out of high school for three years. And this has been challenged most recently, to my knowledge, was by Maurice Claret out of Ohio State about 10 years ago. Um, he wanted to come into the draft after his first, after his first year, and it was not allowed. Um, and with basketball, you know, essentially kids are being required to come to college for a year. Um, some, a smaller percentage of kids are deciding to uh, play professional basketball elsewhere in that year instead of uh, going to the NCAA. Um, when I compare that to some of the other sports I just mentioned, um, it seems as if the, the, the athletes and other sports such as baseball and hockey, they have many more options than the kids doing basketball. Um, so for me, uh, when I talk to you about this, 
this potential show, I wanted to outline what some of the other sports were doing and how it may give basketball players more options, more flexibility, especially given when you look at football, seven rounds, um, roughly, you know, 200, 230 picks. Baseball, 40 rounds. Okay, we're talking over 1,000 picks. Hockey, seven rounds. Again, like baseball, 200 to 230 picks. And then basketball, it's two rounds and roughly <laughs> 60 picks. And so when you look at that, the most exclusive group out of these four sports actually have the most restrictions. To me, that is a huge uh, ethical dilemma and a practical dilemma as well. And yeah, but I, also, um, we ta- you know, if we take a step back and look at ratings mm-hmm. with yeah. this, um, if you look at the percentage of African American um, kids that are taken in the first two or in in the two rounds of basketball, it's almost a complete uh, um, reverse of the percentage of kids. Uh, African-Americans taken in the baseball draft. You know, you're looking at 80% versus 9%. And in basketball, it's almost a flip. And when you look at American uh, white ball players versus American African-American ball players, it's essentially 80 to 90, uh, 80% compared to 9 So um, it's interesting to see that the sports that are more dominated by white American kids in the draft have more options and more flexibility, especially when you look at hockey and baseball. And it will outline some of those differences as well. I think, yeah, you lay out some really important um, uh, elements to that. And, you know, and so, you know, one of my um, experiences that I, I have is I, I've had a chance to kind of um, in my role um, interact with these different sports and, hear a little bit how this works from a college coach perspective. And so, you know, you mentioned, you talked about, you know, like the NHL um, in, in, in baseball, particularly NHL, you know, where, um, you know, these players can be drafted and have their, their rights already and still have access to college. Some of them can enter the draft, come back. Um, they have a lot more flexibility. They're able to have agents. Um, some of these players, uh, it's funny, I think NHL is more like, uh, I would say uh, like basketball in, in, in Europe where you have people like Luca who, who, you know, played uh, professionally, play on a professional teams, you know, as a 16 and 17 year old with, you know, grown players. It's similar to how we do hockey um, here. We talk about uh, the ability of some of these hockey players to, to play on some of these professional teams. They still have the kind of amateur status, but they're, you know, some of these, these, these young men are in, high school traveling around with, you know, very older, older, older guys playing hockey when they play at the highest level. And so you see much more flexibility when you, when you, like you said, the demographics uh, of that group, um, you see some different decisions uh, around some of those sports. And so, you know, I think that's, it's kind of interesting. You know, I want to kind of tease out, you know, you know, kind of how we're looking at some of these other sports when you look at, sports like, you know, hockey and baseball, what are some of the things that, that uh, from some of these sports that appeal to you, as you say, might be transferable and might be used for solutions in, in basketball? Sure. Um, let's, let's review um, what the current situation is in basketball 
Um, and then let's talk about these other sports as well, um, just to kind of set the table. So currently in basketball, um, in order to be eligible for the draft, U.S. players are actually North American players. They have to be one year out of um, high school in order to enter the draft. And I believe it's at uh, one year out of high school based on ninth grade or eighth grade, something like that, because there's something like 50% of kids um, that are our drafted, they actually reclass uh, before the eighth or ninth grade to have a competitive advantage. But in basketball, um, essentially, kids have to declare for the draft, which is something different from some of these other sports that we'll talk about, meaning that they have to actually enter their name in the draft. Uh, a team cannot just draft anybody. They have to draft kids who have made themselves available for the draft. And um, essentially, if kids go through the draft, like throughout the entire draft process, and there are some variations that they can test the draft process early on if they don't sign an agent. There's a period, uh, approximately six weeks before the draft, that they can withdraw their name from the draft, and then they can maintain their NCAA um, eligibility. But let's just assume because this is a situation that most kids stay in the draft and you generally have um, anywhere from last year there were 900 kids that entered the draft that submitted their name to the draft. Only 60 picks are taken. And so any kids, in, and last year there were over 100 underclassmen, um, or in 2019 there were 100 underclassmen that declared for the draft went through the process and not get drafted, and they cannot go back and play for their college teams. They are no longer considered a amateur because if you are in the draft, you either have to um, sign with an agent, like you have to have an agent represent you based on the players' union's um, rules, or if you decide to represent yourself, you pretty much sign away and say that, hey, I'm an agent for myself. So that makes you ineligible to go back to college. So that's the so, situation I mean, in basketball. So I mean, so I mean, you're you're um, I think, and you made you made a uh, interesting thing around declaring versus being drafted, which is uh, what you find in some of the other sports. So you know, even if you think about baseball, you think about um, uh, the, the the young man from uh, for Vanderbilt. Uh, who was a big time freshman pitcher in the World Series? You know, he was already drafted, right? And he goes and he plays in the Cosworth Series because of the MVP. Um, but he had a choice between going pro or going to college. He chose to go to Vanderbilt, but he's already uh, the draft rights. Uh, he has draft rights. A team has draft rights. So he didn't really have to declare somebody just drafted him, right? So there's that difference between declaring uh, in some of these other sports, people just draft you and re- retain your rights. Um, yeah. When you th- when you think about those differences, what come to what comes to mind? Like that's an interesting difference, right? It, it seems. Yeah, and and I think we should be specific about laying it out for the listeners what is yeah. uh, going on with the other sports. So yeah. hockey, seven rounds, uh, and I'll come back to that question, D. But yeah. hockey, seven rounds. Hockey has a very unique system in that they have a separate set of rules for European players. Uh, or and, and also a set of rules for um, North American players, so players that are, for the most part, drafted out of the U.S. or, or Canada. 
So essentially, um, you can be a a pro player in the junior league, which is a uh, very similar to the minor league, beginning at the age of 16. So sometimes you see the top um, hockey prospects in North America, they don't even finish high school. They start playing in the minor league, and they do get paid a little bit of money. And if they do play in the minor league, they are not eligible. Like, they lose their – like, they're no longer considered an amateur. So they cannot play college hockey, okay? But the the hockey rules are as long as you are at least 17 by September, um, but no older than 19, you can be drafted. Um, you have to declare yourself to be drafted – if you're, again, between 17 and 19. However, you can be drafted before then and not even declare, hmm. which is, to me, a little odd. Um, another kicker is that um, if you, like, once once you're over the age of 21, you are no longer eligible for the draft. You can sign as an unrestricted free agent wherever you want to go. Mm. So what this means is kids who go to college, um, regardless if they were drafted or not earlier, um, you know, and let's say they play three or four years in college, for most kids they're going to be at least 21 at that time. The team that drafted them earlier no longer has their rights, and they're not eligible for the draft. So, therefore, that kid can pick the best situation for them in terms of sign as as an unrestricted free agent. Um, If the kid has never been drafted, it doesn't matter. If they're over 21, same thing. Um, Like, they're not eligible for the draft, and they can sign as an unrestricted free agent wherever. Okay? So, Hmm. that is hockey. And I think the biggest thing that I take away from hockey that NCAA could benefit from, because for the most part, we're going to draw from baseball. I think baseball has a really yeah. strong model that that basketball can pull from. And we'll talk about baseball here in a second. But the big thing from hockey I think we can draw out is that kids that do play in college, so let's say you play at Michigan State for four years, and instead of you getting drafted, you know, early in the second round or a team that may or may not use you, may decide to give you a two-way contract to play in the G League, you can actually sign with whoever you want to and pick the best situation for you. I think that gives kids a lot more leverage. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I, it, it, that's, you know, I mean, whenever I talk to hockey coaches, and it's interesting, the psyche of college hockey coaches, they flex and flow. You know, when you talk to football coaches or basketball coaches, they have anxiety. But I watch some of these top hockey coaches, and, I mean, like, they, they will be in the middle of a senior season, and, you know, a player got called up. You know, they're going to go. To it, but they just kind of adjust. And so what it tells me is that, you know, once you get in the mindset, even as a college coach, you can adjust to this new reality. Hockey is a, hockey is a little bit more wild, wild west when I've watched it um, uh, and, and worked very closely with hockey coaches. But their mentality and their ability to adjust gives me a sense that people adjust to new realities. It took me a while to really understand that uh, until I spent time around hockey coaches and watching them make decisions and how they set their roster. So 
Uh, hockey's got some unique opportunities. I think like it. When you think about baseball, you know what are some highlights around baseball? Because baseball is one that I'm I'm really interested in. When you look at it, when you're thinking about the baseball piece, you know what are the things about baseball you think are, are unique and, and something that we could definitely tease out. Sure. Uh, so baseball, uh, again, football, seven rounds, hockey, seven rounds, basketball, two rounds, baseball, 40 rounds, 40 rounds, 40 and, rounds. And, and generally speaking, about 30 teams, you know, 30 picks per round. Okay. So uh, that, that's about 1200 picks roughly. So yeah. in baseball, there's, there's a couple different ways you can be eligible for the draft. First of all, um, you're a high school graduate, and you have not attended college yet. So in baseball, um, the vast majority of the picks in baseball are out of high school, especially the you know in the first three or four rounds. Um, the second way you can be picked is if you're a college player um, and you're at a four-year school. You're eligible after... Uh, three years either at that school or out of high school or your 21st birthday, whichever comes first. So if you have a kid that finishes college or high school late and they're close to 19 um, and after their second year in college at a four-year school, they may even be able to enter, like re-enter the draft. Okay? And I'll go through some scenarios here. The third... The third way you can be eligible for the baseball draft is if you're a player at a community college or junior college sometimes they're called. In that situation, you're eligible for the draft every year. So let's give a scenario. You have a kid uh, that is drafted in the 15th round out of high school. And let's say he's drafted by the Chicago White Sox. So the White Sox offer him a $50,000 signing bonus. Okay? The kid says, you know what? Uh, that's not enough money for me to forgo, forgo my education and to be a minor league player and, and never really know if I'll make the major leagues. So they decide to go to college at, let's say, University of Michigan. The White Sox own that, the right to sign that player until either they turn 21 or have finished three years in college, three seasons in college. Okay, so let's say after his freshman year, he has a great year, he makes all big 10, and all of a sudden the White Sox say, this kid is more of a prospect. They can then negotiate with that kid and say, instead of that $50,000 signing bonus, um, how about if we give you a half a million dollar signing bonus? Is that enough for you to come forego your college eligibility? And the kid may say yes. If he says yes, now he's a minor league player. He he, he cannot be in the draft. He loses his um, college eligibility. But he might say, you know what? No, I'm enjoying the uh, the college experience, and I feel that. In another two years, if I re-end the draft, I may get drafted in the first or second round, and all of a sudden my signing bonus will be even more. So let's say he goes back to school um, for another two years. After his junior year, or he turns 21, the White Sox lose the option to sign him, and he can be drafted by anybody else at this point. 
that gives the kids a lot of flexibility. The other option is, and we saw this with Bryce Harper, you know, one of the biggest names in baseball now. He decided not to get drafted out of high school. Or he, he was drafted out of high school, he didn't, and he went to a community college for two consecutive years. And the second year he got drafted as a top five pick, and then he left. So if you go to a community college slash junior college, you can actually re-enter the draft each year. And the team that originally drafts you, they lose they lose the right to re-sign you if they don't have you signed by the time a week before that next year's draft. So Bryce Harper theoretically was drafted out of high school. He didn't like what they, he was being offered. He played one year at a community college. Um, whoever drafted him could have negotiated with him up until a week before that draft after his freshman year. I love that basketball. And I, and I think what it does, particularly for the American basketball player, because you see uh, GMs do it a lot and teams do a lot with European and other basketball players. It, it allows for them to do what they call stats. Where you can get a young person, allow for them to develop for a couple years. You know, maybe you get them at 19 or 20, a little bit older, more developed, you know, because they've been able to spend some time with Coach K or Coach Howard at Michigan and develop a little bit, you know, learn, get mature, <laughs> learn how to do their laundry, do all the things that they want to get, get done and make that investment. Um, it can clearly invest in that. Um, and then, and then, so it has a couple of different effects for teams, but like you said, it allows a lot more decision-making for the player and um, it leaves the opportunity for education. But one of the things you, you mentioned, I, I was interested, does that mean that we're looking at more rounds? Cause I think one of the things you kind of said, this is, this is what happens when we bring the professor on because he, he's laying down the context on this. Uh, is you a couple of times you talked about the number of rounds and drafts. So so are we also looking at an expanded draft in a way that might be more like baseball and more like hockey? I wouldn't propose that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't um, because I think expanding. So right now, I think the one thing that basketball has has right is the number of rounds. Meaning mm-hmm. that if you are drafted by the NBA, mm-hmm. um, either with a first or second round pick, um, even as a second round pick, that team is probably going to give you at least two years to see if you can play. Your first round pick, that team is is going to invest in you a minimum of three to four years. And chances are, if you're a first round pick, even if things don't work out with that first team, a second team will probably take a shot with you. Mm. With these with these other drafts, you look at baseball. You're a sixth or seventh round pick. Uh, you know, I read something recently preparing for this show that only about thirty percent of six and six or seventh round, actually fifth through seventh round picks, make the roster, make mm. the active roster. So if mm. you're drafted after the fourth round, there's a good chance, like most kids, don't even make the NFL roster. Also, I think a pushback with expanding the number of picks is the current NBA player Players Association. I mean, you're taking away jobs from veterans, even if you expand it out one round. Yeah. And given just how important um, 
So I think only has like only having two drafts, uh, two rounds also makes those picks very valuable assets for trades as well. That's also mm-hmm. something that basketball has going well for themselves. And the other thing I think it does is that I think it creates a continue that balance and partnership um, between the NBA and, and college basketball, uh, because you're still going to have enough talent going into college basketball who's hungry to also make a case um, uh, as well. And so, you know, I think, I think it opens up a, a balance and, you know, people can make decisions. So, you have some players who say, you know, they might get drafted in the second round, um, you know, may almost have first-round talent, uh, but might decide, I'm, I'm going to go to Michigan State for a year. You still get that one-and-done effect uh, as well. Um, I like that. And, and then the other thing I like about the, the college option, particularly if you keep the, the support uh, that a lot of colleges do about returning athletes to finish their education, having that piece in there, so, you know, even if you go spend time in the league, um, you played a year at Kentucky or two years at Kentucky, you can come back and finish your degree um, as part of it. So at least keeping that continuing education um, piece open. Um, and, you know, it, it, uh, with that kind of two-round um, kind of uh, scenario. So I, I liked it because at first when I was hearing you saying it, you kept saying it. I was thinking, well, is he thinking about expanding it? Uh, but that would totally, I think, also disrupt uh, the pipeline to college basketball. So I like the idea of kind of pick precious and really making people decide how far down the line you want to go uh, with some of this. Yes, and, yeah. So I, I love, I love, I love the way you you're framing that. And then you still have things like, you know, you, you're gonna still have the graduate, the graduate portal. You know, be able, be able to do. You know, if you get the graduate, because you have some advanced players who finish their degrees can, can, um, you know, on the college basketball side, you know, as, as graduates, if you guys still have some of those existing elements, it allows multiple pathways to position themselves for the league, which, which uh, I think is always a great thing for, for those late bloomers. So I think that's an interesting thing, but that looks good for the NBA. Is that good for college basketball? And that's the part I was trying to figure out, you know, you know, the one thing about having Zion, right, do the one and done, is I think it did a lot for his stock. I think he, in that one year, um, you know, because R.J. Barrett was the guy coming out of high school. But I don't know if you would have the same type of phenomenon. There's something about that, you know, the energy that he was able to create playing this one year at Duke. Also, what comes around with March Madness in terms of building your own personal brand. Is there something lost in that? Um, because Zion's not somebody, Zion's somebody who would have got drafted and would have gone to the league. They weren't going to stash him. So do we lose that? I don't think so because in the system I propose, which is very similar to the baseball model, and if we take away the piece of the hockey model where kids who you know spend three or four years in college they're not eligible for the draft, and they can sign as free agents. Um, I think if Zion wanted to play college basketball, he could have. Um, and especially if we don't see, for every Kevin Garnett and LeBron James um, that came right out of high school and were playing at a 
a starter, borderline, all-star level. Um, the other 95% of kids that came out of high school during that 10-year span, 12-year span between KG and 95, and once they changed the, like, made it one and done in 2006, 2007, um, there were only a handful of guys that played, you know, at a near all-star level. You look at kids like Tracy McGrady. Tracy McGrady didn't become Tracy McGrady for like two or three years in the league. And so it may be that for most kids going to college for a year may be best for their development um, to increase their stock. And with Zion, it's different. With Zion, you know, I, I was talking to a friend the other day. I went to the ACC tournament, um, tickets that, um, I won't say me, but somebody who bought, you know, ACC tournament got $200 for the entire week. Those things were going for $2,000 because of the Zion effect. The same thing with the Sweet 16 that I went to in D.C. Um, you know, tickets for the Friday and Saturday games that were $350, they were being sold for $1,500 to $1,800 just for the Sunday game. The sweet six or the uh, the elite game, the elite eight game against uh, was the Michigan State they lost to. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it like Zion's a very unique situation. You know, you put Zion in the same category as people like Magic Johnson and Chris Webber and Shaq. I mean, these are, like these are people that just took over college basketball um, for a year or maybe two in the situation of Magic and Shaq. I mean, like, those are very, very unique situations. My point of the system is it gives kids options. So mm-hmm. if Zion wanted to go to college, he could do that. Um, even if he knows there's a little bit of a risk of injury, you know, there may also be data saying that, hey, staying a year in college is going to help me grow my brand. It's going to help me get coached by some of the best coaches in the, in the world, you know, because I'm going to a premier top 10 program like Duke or Michigan State or Kansas, wherever it is. I'm going to have resource, like training resources um, that would be helpful as well and very comparable to what I see in the NBA. Maybe I'd be okay, you know, having a year. The current model so, doesn't the, even give kids that option. Yeah. That's my frustration. doesn't so, give so kids my, that option. It forces them. So my one wrinkle to yours, and I don't know why I'm saying this, because I'm, I'm really into the, you know, because everybody focuses on the money. And I, I spend more time focusing on, you know, kind of the, the social capital development and your ability to navigate and build a capital um, part of it. And so, you know, people spend a lot of time in the money part of it. But, you know, I, I think part of the struggle around um, what people do once they get the money is a lot depending on those social networks and those places around you, how you navigate that space. And so I, I, I'm, I'm looking a little bit more on the development side. And so my one thing I would put on top of what you did, you did an excellent job of laying this out like I knew you would, is I would say once you go to college, I would want to see you there for two years. And after that, I then kick in what you were just saying. So that would be my one wrinkle because I think Why there's two some, years? Because I, I, think, I, think there, I think there's some value to being in school. I'm, I'm getting away from the money part. I, I'm seeing there's some value of being in that space, living in that space for two years, I think there's a lot of development between, you know, finishing around 20 years old. I think there's something there. Whereas you could just go right to the league. I mean, you could side go right to the league, but then be there for two two years developmentally. I think there's some value. That's continuity. 
Um, that's just a wrinkle I'm, I'm thinking, I'm looking at from more of the developmental, the individual developmental standpoint. I'm not just looking for the, the economic yeah. piece. There's an argument for getting out of there, but I, I'm, I'm taking an angle that I think a lot of people don't spend a lot of time thinking about. I'm looking at the development, personal development. I think there's some value added to be two years on campus and, and being independent that um, can be a resource to these young people when they make their decisions to go um, and, and to be patient with it. And they still, the money's still going to be there. Because you've already been drafted, you know, or, or you've already had peace. my so issue. Yeah, and, and I'm not talking my about for the personal economic. Is, and I was saying it for hockey too, and a lot of other sports. I'm not just saying it for that. I mean, I spent a lot of time around some of these other sports, and they because they could use that too. I'm not just saying that for basketball. Well, well, I think you raised some good points, Devon, and you know the reasoning you gave is solid. Uh, my fundamental issue is with basketball, why do we have like, – why do we feel the need to enforce these rules for basketball players? Um, why not give the kids the option? If they want to do it, do it, like like they have this option in baseball. It feels like in basketball there's almost an attitude that, you know what, we need to protect these kids from themselves. And as a result, we need to have all these rules set up and these restrictions set up to help them from the, – you know, from themselves. You know, we want to give them the college experience. We want to do this. We want to do that. And why not allow kids to have the option to do that or have the option to go pro right away? This is what's done in baseball. This is what's done in hockey even before high school age. I mean, why, like, why can't we give basketball players the same options and say, hey, they're adults. They have people around them. And they can make the right decision for themselves instead of us having to govern them more than we do in, say, hockey or baseball. That's my central frustration. The reasoning is solid. You know, yeah. everything you gave is solid. However, you know, the kids should have the option to make that decision themselves and just shouldn't be governed. So, so, so there's two responses I have to that. I, I think out really important points. There's two responses I have to that. I think that should be across the board for college sports because I'm looking for developmental sense. So I'm framing that for basketball, but the things I've seen in other sports, I think some value added across the board. But my nuance with this, this is a, this is coming from a black man looking at a mostly young black men getting set up for life, which is different. My framework is not trying to put stuff on it. It's what my experience and seeing where, I, where I'm trying to put young black men in the best position they can be. In. So I'm being a little bit selfish around that. Not parochial in, 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 in that sense. Um, I'm saying there's some value added to it. But then you also look at what some of these other sports, and this is one of the things that's the counter argument around the racism part around this, but is another thing is that the social economic dynamics around some of those other sports is much different. You have many more middle class, upper middle class kids making some of those other decisions, and there's much many more pariah around some of these young men making some of these decisions. And so I'm looking at it from a number of things, but my blanket statement as someone who's worked with athletics and watch all this stuff, I, I'm, I'm saying this across the board. I don't like the differentiation, but if you, if you are going to have that, I'm in your camp. But if I were looking at all of them, I'm like, look, you come for two years or you do what you, what you talked about with the community college piece. I'm looking at this for the main sports like hockey, the big four uh, is really what I'm looking at or big three, whatever it is for. I'm looking at, I'm looking at those sports more or less than, a lot of the Olympic sports have a whole nother different 
dynamic. We talk about gymnastics, swimming, the different dynamic with some of those other sports. But some of those, some of those sports. So I, I'm with you on that. I mean, all your things you're saying, I'm cool with. I think young people will make great decisions. I think they also are a little bit more. I think the thing we didn't talk about much more, we'll, we'll unpack. I think even in future dates, I would say about basketball. I think there's much more um, um, support in, in, in understanding each space more so than before. Um, I think USA basketball is doing a much more job, particularly with the elite group of of athletes, much more for they, the, the athletes are coming much wide, more wide open. Um, these athletes understand how to prepare themselves for options. So you have you, when you look at some of the academic background and profiles of some of these, many more of them are taking not only college prep but AP. Like I think people need to understand. So I mean, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm hitting you with both sides of it, uh, but but I, yeah. I my my defense of it is. Personally, what I'm thinking, I'm thinking about it as a, a, a black male thinking about black youth and where I want them positioned, sure. and I think there's some value at it. But from an economic right to work labor stuff, you're making all the right arguments. I, I can't even I can't even argue with you on that. I'm, I'm in your camp fully. From somebody who's thinking about it more developmentally, strategically, everybody's not LeBron. Everybody's not putting them pieces together like LeBron and Amar. But I I do think there's right. some there's something you you get. When you spend that that one or two, that two years on a college campus, that really just adds something different that makes you a little bit different. That I want for particularly for this, because more for selfish reasons. I just have to say that. Kids, I mean, you raise really solid points, um, and I agree with you from a developmental standpoint. Um, college is like that experience is very important, you know. But if you look, not but but if if you look at college, like the elite high school basketball experience in, say, 1990 yeah. compared to now, it's very different. I mean, even yeah. I mean, if you look at the devaluation of the state championship in high school, yeah. you know, many of these top athletes are transferring away from their home school where they grew up to, to basketball academies or to yeah. prep schools or or better public schools in other areas. So now all of a sudden, the state championship winning that for Ann Arbor Pioneer or Kalamazoo Central, it's not as important because you've just moved this area to play basketball. Kids are making they're making professional decisions about their basketball career at a much earlier period than college now. Whereas a lot of these kids are reclassifying. A lot of these kids, you know, if you look at the Nike Elite Basketball League or Under Armour or Adidas, um, these kids are traveling to different places uh, to play AAU ball in the spring and the summer that aren't even local to them in terms of their their region or even their state. Um, and they're making these decisions so early on, um, and they're getting evaluated um, by professional evaluators earlier so, you know, I think these kids are maturing faster in some ways. Um, they're, they're more isolated. They're more, um, uh, you know, socially I'm not sure if they're getting developed the way they should. Um, but in the same way, I think they have to be more realistic sooner about their future. And so I think those are things that we – depended on college to do for kids 20 or 30 years ago um, and getting ready for the draft. I mean, you look at kids now with these rankings, 
um, it is it it is more volatile than than, than stocks <laughs> in some situations. I know. Um, <laughs> so so I think these kids are um, having to face uh, serious grown up um, evaluations and assessments a lot earlier than they did a couple of generations ago. And 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 one of the things I want to do as 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 we close, I mean, one of the things is this is fun to do, and, and this, I knew you were going to bring so much of this to the table. So, man, this has been a this has been such a pleasure talking about this topic, and uh, and just the way I mean, you bring so much to the table uh, on this. But one of the things I always talk about as it relates to this topic, particularly specifically as we talk about basketball, is we're not we're making a lot of so you think about the number of people. I know you've been following your nephew and everybody else. You think about the number of people who actually play, right? It's a big group. I mean, I know you've been at those AAU tournaments. It's like swarm. It's like so many kids. But you know how many one and done? In 2016, we had 14. 2017, we had 18. 2018, we had 18. So when we think about all the kids who play AAU basketball, all the kids who do all these things, kids who go to we're only talking about a few slots. And so when I always try to build these policies, I think about the policies. Um, I, I, I try to think about a policy and how it works for the other 95%, right? Yeah. How much can we preserve of those 95%? Because the people like Zion going to get what they're going to get. What ends up happening are those, those folks who are in the 95% who think they in the five. That's the ones where the tragedy comes in. And so that's the part that um, when I think about policy development around this, we get so enamored in thinking about it. When you think about when we look at the numbers, the great stats on this, I mean, I mean, we think about this, I mean, Kentucky and, and Duke, so many of them, right? It's like crazy, right? Oh. And so it's, it's like everybody else is like just participating. Like <laughs> Kentucky gave you 25, Duke gave you 13, and then everybody else is like, Jumping in, you know, and so I always like when we think about policy development around this, let's make sure we build it for the 95, 98 percent and not necessarily for the two, because the two or three percent are always going to be taken care of. And I think that's the part where, you know, I'm talking about the two years uh, on campus and those kind of things. To me, that's for the 95 percent of the of which there's a percentage of them who think they're in the five. Versus the people it like Zion who gonna do that. That's my biggest thing, and I think that's true in other sports too. I'm not just using this in basketball. Basketball seems to be a topic. I think we need to have that framework in other sports. The, it comes back to why why aren't our kids able to police and make these decisions for themselves? Why do we need a governing body to limit uh, what these kids can do? Um, you know, like I think that there, there shouldn't be restrictions as to what they can do. And if there are certain systems that should be in place or resources that are there for the parents or the representatives for these kids, that's one thing. But to say that, um, you know, in order to help their development, we're going to require for them to do things that hurts their earning potential um, I fundamentally have an issue with that. So my biggest thing with this is that we've you already been drafted, so you already got money. 
So we've already taken that yeah. part away. So, so right, if, if if I draft you in the first round, you already got a bonus. We already, we already got your slot. So if you decide to go, if you're well, well, you got your slot, well, right? No, if I go to college, I can't get that money if I go to college. Like, in any in any sport, baseball included, um, it doesn't matter. Like, if you get drafted and money's offered, just because the team has your rights, that doesn't mean the kids are benefiting from that or receiving any money if they decide to go to college. No, they're not bidding for it, but but it's there. It's it's it's, it's like the Kalamazoo promise. I already told you you're gonna go to college. That frees up the whole other other element. I've already told you I'm investing in you, right? If we look at the statistics on the Kalamazoo promise, when I already told you we're gonna pay for college, that that changed the data in the trajectory of of students who weren't. The, I think the highest uh, 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 performance in terms of groups were African American females. So when you when you when you when you create, when I've already told you the money's way, that's that's the dynamic I'm talking about. I'm I'm not telling you right now. Some people say like you gotta go two years with no guarantee. You've already been drafted. The money's waiting, right? In in, in some of those cases. So I, I I'm I'm saying that for, you don't have to do that. I understand your 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 point. I've already come with it. But part of this is so much of this is about the free enterprise piece and less about individuals, people, uh, individual development was where we, where we lost it. And that's where Charles Barkley is right. Everybody's focusing on the money where, where is, it's not, it's, it's about the, it's about the social capital and how you navigate some of those pieces, which is this differential experiences around that, which we see more in Brown, more Brown and black folks getting hurt in that situation than white folks. Now, there's a lot of other things you could probably put in place to make that happen. I just haven't seen it, and I don't trust it. So that, that's where I'm struggling with it. But I think all the points you make, I can't even argue with I'm, I'm trying to make a case with it. But my, my case is not about cutting off your economic. My, my case is success is just built on me giving you that check. That's not it. Yeah. You know, success is about your understanding of how to nuance that and how you make that. And that comes with a whole bunch of other life experiences of which you might not get with the folks who might be around you, which which tends to happen. So that that's the part I'm trying to uh, work out. And you don't see that dynamic as much in some of these other sports like that. You see some of yeah. it, but you don't see it as So essentially you're saying, um, you're saying that you feel like it's almost like a trust fund. It's yeah. almost like a trust fund that you're not eligible to get into your 35 or 40. But in this situation, you're saying, well, to ensure that you do other things and you develop in other ways to help increase the possibility to do that, we're going to hold this things in front. You know, yeah. you being able to play pro basketball, you being drafted, uh, us investing in you, it's in a trust. It's in a trust. So – I think being realistic, asking other sports to take a step back um, to improve basketball. <laughs> These other sports, for a number of reasons, uh, would would fight tooth and nail <laughs> if they were given uh, out of the restrictions that college basketball has. And you know, we haven't talked about it in the first 59 minutes of this podcast. But there's also this, this huge dynamic of the NCAA. 
in this billion-dollar right. industry in TV contracts around March Madness, which yes. is not something that is that, that hockey has. The Frozen Four, I don't even know what channel that comes on. <laughs> the Final Four for hockey. Um, <laughs> college Baseball World Series, it's a bucket list for me and my brother to go to. But oh, We got to go, man. Know, this is RZ field trip right there, yes. 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 But in terms of the amount of money that it produces, it is, to take Ed to George's word, dollars to donuts. Okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's dollars to donuts, man, compared to the college baseball world series in the, in the March Madness, man. So, like, we have all these different things set up to protect these kids from themselves. Um, but then it's also this, this huge billion-dollar industry, the NCAA basketball, which That's right. has a looming influence. Yes. Yes. In that one, we need to save that one for part two. You know, maybe when we have uh, – we get the game changer back for our next one, maybe that be part two of this discussion. Oh, yeah. We, are, we, we have just Let's warmed this up. Man, uh, I want to say this. You are incredible. It's it's good to do this. The way you analyze and break things down. Uh, I've been reading this stuff, and, and then you just crystallize it for me uh, in ways. And um, uh, I think uh, I'd love to be able to – we have to talk about even putting something up on the blog, or write something up and put it up on our, our website, on Real Sports Guys blog. But, but it's been good to talk about this. We're going to have a part two. Because we just tipped, this is the tip of the iceberg. We got to have a part two about this when we get Game Changer to bring the the, the, the NCAA March Madness piece into it because, you know, they're going to have something to say about it. Um, and they want to continue to make that money. Um, and so there's going to be, uh, they're going to have their way. So uh, we might have to have that as part two. But this has been good. I, I love the, I love what we have right now laid out. I think we have something that uh, uh, is doable. Um, I know I threw a little wrinkle in it, but I'm, I'm probably leaning towards your proposal in the way you laid it out than um, mine. Uh, mine is more of a selfish, you know, for the, for the young folks kind of thing. Uh, I want everybody to get sure. their money in their bag. I, ain't, I want no mamas coming after me, no daddies coming. I want everybody want to get their bag. But I love uh, the yeah. essence of what you're producing. Um, and with good advising, people can make good decisions. So um, this has been good, man. This show is about summer, y'all. Uh, Real Sports Guys, the big show. I'm here with Phil. I hope we're able to wet your whistle. Uh, catch us on our social media if you have uh, an opinion on this. Share your, your thoughts. Share your uh, proposed model. Um, go to our Real Sports Guys page. Um, post it if you want to post it there. Or catch us on Twitter, uh, Real Sports Guys. Uh, hit us up there and post what you think uh, up there. We'd love to hear your perspectives on this issue. Um, and uh, until next time, uh, we're out. Hi, this is Brett Bielma, the head coach of the University of Arkansas Razorbacks, and you're keeping it real with the Real Sports Guys. Whoopig. Love Talk Radio.